Today we uh, continue our study, and if you want to know where we've been, if you look on the back page of your sermon notes, go to the bottom. I have given you a summary of what we've been talking about. And the whole theme of the month is to rethink everything. We're answering the question, what to do about what happened in our lives? What do you do when you look at your life and it didn't work out like you thought? You figured out what happened to you, but now you're trying to think, think through, what do I do about what happened to me? So, you know, my money got messed up, my family got kind of messed up, my children had a challenge, and all that happened to me. But now I'm trying to figure out what to do about it. So the first thing I told you to do is rethink everything. Say that with me, please come on. Rethink everything. And that's what we're talking about this entire month. Rethink everything. Pull everything on the side of the road and rethink it. And so here's what we've been talking about so far. We talked about rethinking your view and your approach and how important it is to rethink the way you view things because the way you view things affects your approach. God can't help you until he changes your view. You will never have true love the way God wants you to have it in your life because of the way you view love. Love for you is a quick romantic, uh, what you call a romantic experience in the bedroom someplace with somebody, and that is not how God defines it. It's the way you define it. Your view is different than God. God's view is not playboy. He doesn't agree with playboy. He thinks that's wrong. He thinks that hurts you and harms you. It's a man that it poisons your brain. It poisons your ability to love and to see people properly. It, God doesn't view love the way you do or money the way you do. And I think he's, he's, he's for money, but he's not for greed. He wants you to be entrepreneurial. He wants you to make a lot of money. You can be a millionaire, billionaire. He doesn't care. The issue is that you have a balanced perspective of what, of what money is and what money is not. It's your view. He's trying to approach your view. That's why I strongly believe in teaching. Jesus was big on talking to people. And so re rethink your view. And then last week we said rethink who, why you're here. Now, we've been studying Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I try to force myself into a Bible study because so it doesn't sound like some motivational talk. And so in our study of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that's what Jesus challenged the disciples with in Matthew 5. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor. Rethink your view of these things. I want to show you another way to look at these. You think one way, but I want to show you another way. And then he went on to talk about rethinking why you're here. He said, you're here to be salt and light. There's a flavor that God has given you, a unique flavor. And a unique color, a light. When people deal with you and when I interact in your life, they get a certain flavor that's unique. Accept that flavor and understand the responsibility of it. You're set on a hill. You're a light, a color that cannot be hidden. And so as we talked about that, the goal was to get you to rethink why you're here. You're not just here to make money. You're not just here for treasure. You're here for a bigger purpose than that. It's okay to have treasure, but you're not here just for that or just to find love or just to have children or just to have a house or just to have a car. There's more to your value than that. So rethink that. Today we talk about rethinking how you talk to God. Now, if you'll note with me in your sermon notes, going back to the front page if you're following me, there's something that I think is so important about how we think about our communion with God in particular. And in, in our study today in Matthew chapter 6, as we turn to the sixth chapter, we're going to find that prayer is a big part of this chapter's discussion. And so I want you to think with me for a minute. How is your prayer life? Would you say your prayer life is on the right road? Would you say that my communion with God is genuine and authentic and strong and powerful? Well, I would say for a lot of people that would not be true. Think about it for a second. Who do you talk to 
like you talk to God. When you talk to God, you turn into a caricature. Father God, I want to thank you. you. Squint your face. And that is your normal. I can understand a formal prayer moment. I get that. I get that. But in terms of your normal prayer life, your conversation, when you see your husband, you go, good morning, honey. I'm glad to see you. Do you do that or do you say, hey? What is your, what is your approach to communing with, with, with your God? And are you having the right conversation with him? Sometimes you're not talking to him in a normal way. You're just kind of going through some religious pattern you've been taught. It's not really a conversation. And it's not a conversation about the right stuff. So we can talk, but if we're not talking about the right stuff. And we're just passing words around. So what would improve your communion with God? I'm going to give you some basics, three basic things that he says in the text that will help you in your communion with God. And this is so important because I really think if you get this right, it will change everything. People often say prayer changes things. Nah, I think that's true. But technically, theologically, you've got to be careful because prayer without action doesn't change anything. If you're not engaged in the process, if you push it off on God and say, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about it and I don't have to do anything, that's not balanced. It is true that prayer with you responding in faith to what he tells you brings change. And there are times you can't do anything but pray because there's nothing else to do. You've done everything else. But you don't get to push it all off on him. You don't get to pray about your husband and not engage him. You don't get to pray about your children and not resolve the issues. You can't pray about your business and not go seek new business. There is a part you play. And so I want you to rethink three prayer or what I call talking to God um, basics. And, and, and I want you to think of it that way for a second. I mean, if I can take the term pray for a moment and put it on the side just for a moment and just talk, think of it this way. I'm talking to God. Can you say it with me, please? Come on. I'm talking to God. And there are three basic things you want to do. Number one, you want to pray honestly. You want to make sure this is an honest moment. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. When you pray, you shall not be like the what? Hypocrites. And the word hypocrites is a strong word. It means to be an actor. And, that, and there's a strong warning. Jesus was very specific. He's sitting with these guys on a hill talking to them by themselves. And he says, guys, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to talk to God and pretend. I want to make sure you're talking to God openly. So the first thing you want to do is pray honestly. He said, for they, referring to the leaders around them, love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. You've got to be careful that you're not getting a lot out of something that nobody else is getting anything out of. I don't know that we... Um, understand how God really impacts people. He does it way more by what he does privately with you. And that's why he says, if you really want to make a difference, let's get honest. And let's talk to God and not be hypocrites. That's the first basic thing. Number two, pray privately. So say that with me again. Say, pray honestly. Pray privately. Go ahead and say the third one. Say, pray specifically. When you pray, remember, this is in your room, he says. Notice the way he words this in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in the secret will reward you openly. Notice how personal this is. Now, there's not, nothing wrong with public prayer, and there's plenty of verses that talk about the importance of public prayer, but he's saying, I want you to understand a basic thing. 
You need to have in your life an honest pattern of communication with God, and it needs to be private. That's where you say the truth. God, I'm really struggling with this. And thirdly, pray specifically. Ask for what you really need. I love the way in verse 7 he says this. Do not, do not focus when you pray. Do not use vain repetitions as the heathens. For they think they will be heard for their many words. It's not about getting on your knees praying for an hour. Don't, don't make that a goal. I'm going to pray for one hour. I, I, I would take 10 focused specific moments of conversation than an hour of rambling. I, I just don't think God gets much out of that. There's nothing for you in that. He said, I want you to don't think it's about words, a bunch of words. Verse 8, therefore, do not be like them, referring to people around them, for your father knows the things you have needed before you ask him. God's not being informed when you pray. It's not like he didn't know you're broke or he didn't know you're struggling. As a matter of fact, the issue is you need to make sure you're asking for what you really need. It needs to be specific. This is about this area of my life. The question is, do you really know what you need? Have you ever prayed for something and you're off target when you look back? You're praying for this and you needed that. You're asking for things that have nothing to do with where you really are in life. And you just kind of missed it. The Message Bible puts it in a very powerful way. I love this Message Bible because now, you know, I love commentaries. I love all this, but it kind of it's a, it's a tool, like a cheat sheet a little bit. It kind of helps you see what the text just said in a very simple language, very simple terms. Here's what he said in Matthew chapter, chapter 6, verse 5 in the Message Bible. It says, uh, when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Verse 6, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can imagine. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. Verse 7, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. There's something about your prayer life turning into that. Some professional profession or some profession where you somehow have the keys to everybody's life. When God says, if you could just talk to me honestly, if you could just be more specific, if you could just make sure that you're, you're really talking to me, we can get somewhere. But I think the problem is when we're talking to God, we don't remember who we're talking to. I love the way the next turn in chapter 6 moves to something called the Lord's Prayer. And this is the part of the Bible where everybody goes, oh, man, I used to say that when I was a kid. You know, I used to recite it. And it's a great prayer. But it's, one of the, fir it's the first time Jesus sits these guys down, all 12 of them, and says, let me show you how to pray. So let me give you a prayer guide. Here's a manual, and here's how he starts it off. In this manner, therefore, verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, pray. Here's how you pray. And he starts out by saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, that alone, pause for a second, is amazing. But you need to understand what he's setting up here. I need to get your mind in the right place. You're not just talking to anybody when you talk to God. You're talking to your father. Now, the term father has been polluted and diminished. And in many places, it's despised. 
And so when you say certain words, certain things come to your mind. When you say uh, credit card, what comes to your mind? Debt. Look at that. <laughs> what else comes to your mind? Talk loud. Talk to me. Come on. Interest. Oh, interest. <laughs> Pain. Hard to pay back. Wish I hadn't done it, right? Uh, when I say marriage, what comes to your mind? Oh, you're scared. Can't get that out, can you? Uh, children. Work. <laughs> Job. Work. Uh, work. More work. How about this? When I say father, to some of you, instantly certain words come to your mind. I had a guy, we, we do these sermon reviews, and, and, one of the, and he said this, and he said, Pastor, he said, when I, when I hear the word father, he said, I, I, I get happy. He said, I have not one negative thought about my father. Isn't that amazing? Not one. He says, man, he says he was always there. He was always present. It was always, it was so proper. And on the other side of the room, was people, oh, no, I don't think that way. You know, never present, never did. You know, and so there's these amazing things. So when, you, when, when, you, when you're asked to say our father, now to this culture, fathers were always present. Families were united. Divorce was very rare. And so when you said our father, everybody would sit up and go, we, we get that. That, that. There's a place of respect today still in that part of the world for fathers. There's a, they rule family. They, they decide who you marry. You didn't get to choose. Your daddy said yes or no. And that was the end of the conversation. I'm not saying I want that to come back, even though I do think I have some good ideas. I do, think there's a, I do think there's a biblical discussion we can have about authority in the home and the structure that God put in place and the benefit when it works right. When you do it God's way, it works better. You may say, well, here's, you know what, here's the thing we do wrong. We have this dysfunctional reality that was not God's plan, and then we somehow justify that reality. So that becomes our okay model. When God says, I never planned for you to be like that. I mean, can I, can I just be really candid for a second? Come on, talk to me. Can I be candid? For I, I was raised by a single parent, okay? That was not God's will. You, you, you kind of have to make it work. It's a hybrid thing. You understand what I'm saying? It, God's plan is for the mother and the father to raise the kid. God's plan is for the grandparent to be there as a backup to help them so they're not crazy. Say amen. And, 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 and then the great-grandparent are there to help the grandparent. You see, it's just a train, like I showed you the other day. You, you put everybody in line. You're supposed to be passing down the wisdom, passing down the knowledge. It should be easier as the generations go, go, go down the road rather than harder. Now, it's getting harder because we're not doing it God's way. Say amen if you're hearing me. Amen. So it's, it's, it's harder to parent. Why would it, if Adam and Eve were still living, if we, if we didn't sin, if we, none of the things happened, you could go back and ask Adam, Adam, can you tell me some parental advice? I need some parental advice. Well, you, he could tell you because he'd been living for thousands of years. Nobody was supposed to die. Imagine in your family if nobody ever died. You said, where would they all live? <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing, right? Imagine if nobody ever died. I, 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 would, I wouldn't be surprised if in God's plan, we, we were going to go to, I better stop. I'm going to say other planets, but I'm going to get in trouble now. Yeah, he said we all supposed to live on other planets now. But 
But I mean, the population would have been amazing. You'd have had a, I mean, there'd have been a lot of a lot of things that would have had to evolve because we all couldn't stay on this one planet. It's amazing. So, so God obviously had planned two, but we didn't get there yet. I think we dream about it with Star Wars and all this other stuff. But I mean, God's vision was big. Our sin stopped the vision. Anybody understand that? Our vision slowed it down. And, and so, but think with me for a second. Imagine what it's like when you operate God's way. And you, you have in your life the results that God wanted for you. And, you, and, and your, your, your mother's there, your father's there, and, and there's a sense of respect. So he says to them, listen, when you pray, your father, your father, your father, our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, sacred be your name. That's what I want you to think about. And so I want you to rethink who you're talking to. You're not just talking to anybody. And then he says this, and he turns to these three things that prayer makes you rethink. And then he turns to three areas that will happen when you talk to your father. You'll rethink three areas of your life. Repeat with me, please. Say his will, his will. Your, issues, your issues, and your enemies. Your now, this is the rest of the Lord's Prayer. And in verse 10 through verse 14, he summarizes it. And we've gotten away from the father's plan, and he knew it. He had to remind them, you're talking to your father. That was, that was a moment of pay attention to somebody you don't just kind of throw words at. You're talking to your father, and here's what I want you to understand. The first thing you want to mention to him is his will. You want to find his will. Here's what you pray. Your kingdom or rulership come. We want your rulership to come into our life. When I pray, when I talk to God, it's not about what I want first. It's about what he wants first. I want your rulership in my life. You know, he can tell when you don't mean that. Your father can tell when you're praying and it's all about you getting something. When your kids call you sometimes, uh, some of you have kids, right? They call you and they say, and you go, okay, what do you want? Because they never call you. Right? They never call you. So you go, what? Oh, you can tell in their face. Mm -hmm. And so they tell me grandchildren the same way. Is that right? You can tell. I heard it. Yes, uh, you can tell. So notice, though, this is not where he wants you to start in your prayer life, though. Pray with the focus of his will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's complete submission. I want your will. Second thing he says is once we talk about my will and you invite my kingdom, my rulership in your life. Now let's talk about your issues. I want you to understand, I want to hear about your issues. And he says it this way. Give us this day our what? Daily bread. He cares that you, you, your needs are met. Verse 12. And forgive us, I love this, our debts. Forgive me for what I owe. And help me forgive my debtors. People that, that owe me something. And then he says this. Do not lead us into temptation. That's another one of my issues. I'm tempted by stuff. Deliver me from evil. Look at this. There's, there's stuff all around me. I, I have issues, and when I come to God, he says, I want to hear honestly about your issues. You can bring those to me. Even, your, lastly, your enemies. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, this is important. He says, I want you to focus on people when you pray 
that need to be forgiven because they have trespassed. In your mind, for whatever reason, they have, they have trespassed. You know what that means, right? I've crossed over. They've missed the mark. They've crossed over into your territory, stepped on your toes, done something wrong to you. And then he says this, but if you for, do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So when you pray, to me, pray, let's talk about my will, let's talk about your issues and talk about your enemies. Those are the big issues. Those are the big things we need to talk about. The basic stuff is always centered in this, these areas. Then he says three things you should remember when you pray. And I want you to see how this all links together in verse 14. Verse 14, he says again, remember the connection between your actions and your results. In prayer, there is a connection, this is the Message Bible now, between what God does and what you do. There's a direct connection, verse 14, I'm reading it in the Message Bible. There's a connection between what I do and my results. Remember, in, in, in my life, if I can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others, if I hold it against you, I lock myself out. See, being a nice person is to your benefit. Letting it go is being selfish. I'm helping me by forgiving you. By letting it go and not holding it over your head. He goes on and says this in verse 15 of, of uh, Matthew 6. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. And so there are three things you should remember when you pray. Number one, remember the connection between your actions and your results. If I don't forgive men their trespasses, I can't be forgiven. If I allow you to hold me hostage uh, because you did me wrong or whatever, that holds me down. It's best for me to let you go. Secondly, remember God is not impressed with self-promoting productions. Verse 16, when you practice some appetite-denying discipline, he's talking about fasting here, he said, uh, it's better to concentrate on God. Don't make a production out of it. Now, here he goes again and says, you know, you guys, when you pray, if you're not careful, your heart's full of unforgiveness, and the whole purpose of the prayer and the whole purpose of the fasting or denying yourself food or whatever you're doing is to be, to be a major production of your own spirituality. You want everybody to go, whoa, look at me. Boy, I'm looking great. Man, I'm close to God. And he says, that is a waste of time. I'm not interested in that kind of praying. I, I am not fascinated by your spiritual pride. Let me read it again, verse 16. When you practice some appetite-denying discipline, to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. Notice what he's trying to say. When you talk to me, can we just put, put all that down for a minute? Put down your Baptist and your Pentecostal hats and all of your Catholic hats and your Protestant hats. I'm really not impressed with any of it. It's all about concentrating on me. And here's what I want you to do. Be normal. Remember the connection between your actions and your results. Remember God is not impressed with, with self-promoting productions. And remember to be normal. Some Christians, they are very abnormal. Verse 17 says, if you go into training inwardly, which is the fasting part again, act how normally. This says this, shampoo and comb your hair. <laughs> Brush your teeth, please. Wash your face. Verse 18, God doesn't require attention getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing 
He'll reward you well. Pause for a moment and think about it. Are you the kind of person who's doing it all to be seen when you pray? Your conversation with God, whether it be public or private, is more about you having some spiritual pride. Now, in this culture, this was a very common problem. This was the thing that Jesus wanted to arrest. Now, you've heard it said this way, right? This is the old King James. He said, uh, he said, moreover, when you fast, do not act like the hypocrites, right? With a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. That whole conversation in verses 16 through verse 17, or 18, rather, is to get them to say, I need you to change your approach to God. So look at me for a second, and let me just ask you this. Are you talking to God about the things that really matter? Are you on some religious kick trying to impress him? What is the real conversation you need to have with God? Well, why don't you for a moment just pull on the side of the road and talk to him? And that's been my desire. I'm really interested in how this job affects you. I'm fascinated by what happens to preachers. I'm fascinated by being, uh, after being a long-term believer. I mean, I've been a save over half my life, and so what does that mean to me? What does it mean for a guy now who's 57 years old and who's been serving Jesus since he's about 14? What does that mean? Does he, does he uh, have a clear picture? I'll tell you what he has. I'm really clear that I'm imperfect. I'm really clear that when I talk to God, he already knows before I say anything where I'm at. And I'm really clear that I can deceive myself. I'm really clear that I can get caught up in Christian language and Christian you know, performance moves and, and theatrical statements and really never talk about what I need to talk about. And I really believe that if I listen to God long enough, he'll push me to a place where I will feel as if I am on the edge. If I really listen to God, he's going to challenge my way of thinking, my way of spending. He's going he's to check me. When, I, when you talk to God for real, he'll check you about not participating. He'll check you about being a, a looky-loo Christian. He'll check you about not caring about people. He'll check you about your attitude. He'll check you about your money. He will check you. He will remind you that I gave you every dollar you have and I should be first. He will check you if you talk to God for real. Now, but if you just want to shout and dance and run around and you lift your hand and talk about how close you are to God, that means zero to him. Jesus was talking to these 12 guys and their mouths were wide open because he was saying things they had never heard before. He was saying things that were new to them. This is not how everybody thought. And I know that we put on our Pentecostal clothes, we put on our Baptist suits, or we put on our Methodist attitudes. We have these, all these things we put on, and we feel so good about ourselves. And God says, you know, I really don't care about that. I'm really not that impressed with any of the stuff you were impressed with. And so the longer I serve Jesus, the more I serve him, the more I'm going, ah, ah, boy, are we off. He's saying all this to 12 guys sitting on a hill. 12 guys sitting on a hill, and he's talking to them. He says, hey, I just want to talk to you. I just want to talk to you. I'm not trying to be impressive. I'm not trying to say this to me. I'm just trying to help you understand if you really want to commune with God, this is where it starts. So let's have a real conversation. Like you say you need in your marriage, right? Like you say you need in your family, right? Or with your kids, right? God looks at you and says, okay, we have a real conversation. Let's talk about what you really think. Let's talk about do you really want God's kingdom in your life, his rulership in your life. Let's check your pride at the door for a minute. Let's check all that at the door and say, God, I get it. And for me, it's been amazing.
that when I sit down and I take off the preacher robe stuff and I sit down and say, let me just talk to you for just a minute. Let's just, let's just put all this aside. Titles and education and attention and just talk to God. This is far more effective than cupping your hands and saying these prayers. I'm not against that. There's a moment for formal prayer. I don't have any problem with that. I do it all the time. But I have to be careful when I'm praying formally that I don't become a person who's talking to the crowd and not to God. And in my private prayer life, if I'm not careful, it can become like that more than a conversation with God. Oh, God wants to talk to some of you. He's waiting for you to pull on the side of the road long enough. I'm so busy. You what? Pardon? Help me understand. The one who gave you gas in your body, I'm sorry. Help me understand. You don't have time. The one who gave you strength, the one who gave you everything you have, you have what? No time. Help me understand that. Oh, let me help you. But when you get sick and when you can't move, you got all the time to pray. Oh, God, I, I want the pastor to come and pray for me. I want. But you have no time. You have time to do everything you want to do, but no time. So he'll check you if you talk to him. A couple of times I, I felt I had the right to be mad. One time I got really mad with my wife and I stormed out of the house to go to the church and pray. <laughs> I was going to pray for her, ask God to touch her. I did. I, man, we just got married, been married about a year or two, man. I stormed out of the house, prayed God to go pray for her. And I was on my way. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the church to pray. Say, to who? <laughs> I turned my car around. I went back and she said, I, I called your name and you kept walking. Yeah, I was uh, somewhere else. Not where I thought I was. Where are you? With your anger. Where are you? With your issues. Where are you with your complaining? Where are you? Father, help us today. Help us for a moment to pull on the side of the road and rethink how we talk to you. And help us to hear a conversation today. Help us to find a real conversation. A conversation that's genuine and true. Not manufactured and made up. Oh God, help us. Wow. Can I say something to you, please? Take this right. <laughs> you may talk too much. You may know too much. You forget when you're talking to God, you're standing in the presence of greatness. The prayer should be, Lord, help me hear you. I'm clouded by my own education, my own wisdom, my own surroundings, my own culture, my own family, my own way, my own religious views. Help me. Listen. I was watching a conversation one day, and I never will forget this conversation. The guy was telling, the older guy was telling the younger guy something. And the younger guy kept saying, I know, I know, I know, I know. And the older guy looked at him and he said, one day, son, 
somebody who really knows is going to stop talking to you because you say you know and you're going to be in real trouble. Our pride, our pride, my pride, made life way harder for me than God ever intended. You don't know, newly married people, what you're doing. You don't know how to manage some of your crisis because you've never been here before. Look at your results. You may not know. Maybe it's time to just sit quietly and talk to God and say, show me. I open my heart to a new way, to a new thought. It's time for me to rethink everything. I talk too much. Father, help us today to quietly listen in a secluded place in our closet and talk to you. Bring us to places of learning where you can change our lives and help us reach the goals that you have, your will, your will, not my will, your will, which is far better than mine. Far better than mine. I keep stopping these prayers. I need to stop this. I prayed for a job that God looked at me and said, that's not a good prayer. You don't want that. You think you do. I went to school when I first went to college. I went to college thinking this is what I want to do. And, and, and the Lord saying, no, you think that's what you are gifted to do, but you're really gifted to be a pastor. But you can't even imagine that. I would have laughed you to scorn if you told me I would do this job. I never, ever, ever in a thousand years imagined what is your potential beyond what you can see? Why, why, what will it take for you to stop talking for a minute and throw yourself into prayer and throw yourself into his will and say, God, I'll tell you what, I'll make a deal. I'll listen, you guys. I've been walking through a place. To get that book and read it. Right there, get that book. Get this one right here, right here, right here. Get this one here, read this. Go here, listen to this teaching. I want you to, I want you to just befriend this person. Cut that one off. Befriend this one. And you start, he starts guiding you as you go. And before you know it, all of a sudden, you start thinking differently. You start hearing new thoughts. You hear new ways to see things and, and, and process things. The Holy Spirit, I kid you not, spoke to me. I was in a car riding in the street with my pastor. I happened to be in the right car with the right guys. You got to be with the right person. And they said, there are a lot of Bible colleges around and this Life Bible College is, uh, is one. And they just said that name and that name stayed in my head for some reason. And I started, I started speaking, you know, I was just preaching around. And, and, and one day I was praying and, and, and I was getting ready to go travel someplace to speak. I was a teenager. And I was about 19, 18, and I and I had already started college, but I I, I didn't I, I was you know I was an interesting kid. I mean here I am, you know I started preaching around 17, 18, you 17 years old first sermon, and then then by the time I was 19 I was doing revival meetings. Isn't that amazing? Huh? 
pretty cool. So I'm thinking this is okay. This is what I'm supposed to do, this kind of thing. But the Holy Spirit, no, no, no. There's something else I want you to do. But your mind, I got to put you someplace where you can hear another thought. I got to put you, you're with the wrong people. I got to move you over here. Because if you don't, don't move you over here, you can't, you can't get it. So I'm in the car listening to some preachers talk, and they said this name of the school, and I never, ever heard of the place, never, but before I left to go and preach, that, that I was 19, this, it, I picked up the phone, dial zero. No, it was, a, it was a zero back then, dial zero. And, I, and, and while I was praying, it came to me, if you're going to do this job, you need to be better prepared. And I want, and I, and, and I named Life Bible College came back to my mind. I didn't, I, 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 I dialed zero. I said, is there a Life Bible College someplace here? And she said, yeah, on Glendale Boulevard. And I said, well, give me that number. And I called that number. And I said, what are you? I said, well, we, we major with college, we major in theology. And I said, really? I said, well, I think God wants me to come there. They said, well, well they, they, they sent me the information. And I, I left, I took the info, I went, I went by and picked it up. And I, I filled out the applications, left it there, and went on, on the trip to preach and was received. And my mom called me and said, you got a letter in the mail. You were accepted in this Bible college. And that was, that was the beginning. God brought people into my life. The, the president of the Bible college at that time was a man named Jack Hayford. <laughs> the president of the school, the first guy to teach in orientation. And I remember thinking, well, this should be easy because I already know the Bible. <laughs> first session, first orientation, I was blown away. I had no knowledge how ignorant I was. Four years, I plowed my way through. And God, God did something for me that changed my life. I could pray, but he's got to place me in the right church under the right teaching so that I can be led as I pray. Father, do that for them. Do it for them. Take them to a place. Introduce them to people. Broaden their vision. Let them know, God, when to turn and when to get off the freeway. In the name of Jesus, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would fall upon them today and that their prayer life would become a place where you would, you would, you would launch them to a new beginning. Oh, God, you spoke to me as a teenager on my knees. Go to this school. What if I didn't go? What if I said, no, I don't feel like it? What if I was afraid? But, oh, God, I thank you. I didn't know anybody. I picked up the phone and dialed zero, and they gave me the number, God, and I went there, and it began to be a journey for me that has changed my life. Oh, God, help us today. Let our prayer life be the launching pad. Not my will, but thine will be done. Your rulership in my life. Your will. Tell me where to go. And I believe you will meet my daily needs. I believe you'll help me work through my enemies. I believe you'll strengthen me, God. But I got to pray and open my heart and say, God, do it for me. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I pray for everyone streaming in, God, where they are. They're here in the church. I, I pray the Holy Spirit would touch them. May this be that moment. that They would say, God had me here today so that I can pray more openly his will, not mine. 
God, I believe miracles are going to happen. People are going to be touched. Testimonies over the years are going to come, come forward where people are going to say, that was the sermon when I learned how to talk to God. Honestly, specifically, tell God what I need and let him show me what I really need in Jesus' name. Now, with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, what you said today, I get. But it starts with me giving my life to the king. If you're here and you say, Pastor, I need, I need to start at that first step. I want to invite Jesus to be the Lord of my life. He has not been the Lord of my life. I prayed, but I've not prayed like this before. 